Welcome to the Nash Biz Podcast, a podcast specifically for business owners in Nashville, Tennessee. Whether you're seeking the best strategies for scaling your business, networking opportunities, or just plain old entertainment, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show. What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am one of the hosts of the Nash Biz Podcast here with my business partner and co-host, John Trusty. Today, we got Brandon Cobb. Brandon is a local real estate investor based out of Nashville, and his company, The House Buying Guys, does about 40-plus transactions a year, mostly new construction and rehab, while his other company, HBG Capital, focuses on large multifamily acquisitions. Brandon, what's going on, man? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. So, that's your bio, but I like for our guests to usually introduce themselves in their own words. So if you're, you know, me and you're on an elevator, we're on floor 12, we're going down to floor one. You have to introduce yourself to me before we get down to floor one. Who is Brandon Cobb? Oh, man, Superman. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> got just a down-to-earth country boy from Alabama, Memphis originally. Um, spent some time growing up in Trustville. Uh, moved to Memphis when I was pretty young. Went to school at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Was probably there for the worst four years of UT football history and uh, moved to still Nashville. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> Started doing medical device sales, did everything from building product sales, calling on developers, and then um, had an opportunity to jump into real estate when I got fired unexpectedly. And that was kind of the moment when I realized you can get all these great sales awards and hit quota into some of these larger corporations, you're just a number. And I uh, got let go from my job. I was uh, very surprised by that. Ended up being one of the biggest blessings in my life and uh, started wholesaling, started doing new construction, started rehabbing. I was all over the board. We're doing deals in different markets and uh, slowly, steadily learned that new construction is kind of our bread and butter and what we like. So we primarily do that now along with apartment acquisitions. But uh Aside from business, I like to work out in my spare time. I love going to the gym. I love doing group fitness and I uh, love reading. I've got just huge growth junkie. I've got a whole library of growth books. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Love it. So yeah, I think this episode is going to be great for the people out there, especially in real estate and Nashville is a massively growing real estate market and trustee being real estate as well will be good. So, I mean, this first question, it's kind of a loaded question, but why real estate? Why, why is real estate the, the market to be in? And that's a great question. Now, I, real estate wasn't the why when I first started. I had no clue what I was doing. I was all over the place. I think I had a, I was building a course to help people break into medical device sales. I was starting like a motivational blog and I was at the same time trying to flip or learn how to flip houses. I mean, I was all over the board, right? And I think real estate just happened to be the first thing to hit. And you know, flipped my first house, took all that money, dumped it back into it. Now I can I can tell you why specifically is there's huge tax advantages. I think one of the biggest obstacles people have to realizing financial independence and getting true passive income to live life on your own terms is that tax cost. That is the biggest burden that we have to pay as citizens. And, and, and real estate allows a lot of loopholes to forego that and allows you to build a lot of wealth pretty quickly by not having to get hit by those tax incentives by the government 
And that money that you would be paying the taxes, you can then use to grow and invest in yourself and your business. And you can grow exponentially faster without somebody hacking you along the way. So that and I love all the different challenges that it pre uh, prevent, uh, prevents, presents. I love growing. Right. You know, we uh, we got into apartment complexes this year and it's just taken off. Um, we just closed on 384 units two months ago. We've got another big one in the hopper that we might underwrite soon. So real estate provides a path for constant growth and development, which is one of my core values and what I really enjoy about it. Love it. I, I love that. You, you mentioned uh, that one of the things that you love so much about it is the challenges that is presented doing real estate. Talk about some of those issues that you face on a daily basis and what keeps you going? How do you keep getting through them? And what are some of the things that allow you to push through those roadblocks? Yeah, some of the biggest, I mean, there's challenges every single day, right? And depending on where you're at in your journey, it's going to be a little bit different. But some of the bigger ones in the past that have helped shape you know, who I am is realizing that you can't do everything on your own. There's a great book that I think Dan Schwartz might be his name. It's Who Not How. Adopting that mindset, whereas I remember the time where I was the guy answering the phones, doing the office work, managing the builds, going on all the sales calls. And, you know, I was pretty young, didn't have a family, no kids. I, you know, had a little bit of a nest egg, so I wasn't financially stressed out. But it wasn't until I had just exhausted all my finances, blown all my savings, and was working 120 hours a week, it seemed like, that I hit a wall. And I learned how much just a young, you know, motivated guy could work. And adopting that mindset of like, you know, who not how, right? If you build a house, you're not going to go try to learn HVAC, plumbing, electrical, all that. You hire all that out. But it's funny. You think that because you know that in building a house, but you don't when it's building a business. You need to go figure out what you're best at create a position for that, create positions for the roles that you need to fill and then fill your position last so that you can finally remove yourself from that business operator mindset to that business owner mindset. That was a very big uh, realization that I had along the way, along with many others. <laughs> no, that, that, that's, that resonates with us because working on your business, not in your business. And I think a lot of people struggle with that, uh, especially in the beginning because you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of people go into it thinking, okay, I'm going to be a one-man show. I'm going to do everything myself, wear all the different hats because that's what others do. But that's not the truth. I'm a big believer in, yeah, like passive income money is great, um, but also your time is a very valuable asset to make more passive income, to make more whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think people neglect it. And I think it comes down to fear. And they, they fear that when they start to give up control of things within their business, that it's not going to be the same quality. Yep. Right. Even if they don't even have the expertise at whatever that particular topic is, which is interesting. Right. So for you giving up control, because I think we all struggle with it to a degree. You, you own a business, you have an ego and people who have egos generally like control. How have you come to terms with giving up control of things you're not good at? It's pretty easy for me because I don't enjoy doing them in the first place. So it's how That's do good. I offload this <laughs> off my plate as soon as humanly possible? I think the this first realization came when I was, again, I was at that point, right? I remember the last two months or last three months of managing that we had like one of our first, this was like six years ago, we had like one of our first new builds going. And along with some other projects, you know, I was, I was wearing all the hats, but we had pre-sold this house and, and I'll never pre-sell another house uh, a day in my life because the owners were then showing up every day. And here's this new guy 
uh, our GC walked off, by the way, right? Like he literally walked off probably three months in the project. And I stepped in again to try to, instead of the who, let me go find another one. I go, I'll step in and I'll do that. Biggest mistake ever. And I just realized waking up at like five, six in the morning every day, go get materials and go there and the phone's blowing up. And I'm and it just every hole in the barrel is just flooding out, right? It's bleeding all over the place. I was like, oh my God, I do not want to do this. And so realizing those emotions, like I'm not a good project manager. I need to hire this out. Being aware of how I felt about that position and that task first enabled me to say, Hey, I really need to offset this and get it off my plate. Yeah. No, it's no, I think it's, I think it's easier said than done for sure. For sure. You mentioned uh, the tax incentives and we do a lot of 1031 stuff for some of our clients. What tax incentives do y'all like to use mostly and how can somebody that's just getting started in real estate benefit from some of these tax incentives? Yeah. The depreciation is huge, right? Whether you own rental property, you know, you got to think, let's say you, you make a hundred grand a year. Great. You take home what, like 70,000, 65,000, something like that. I mean, so you got $35,000 a year. Imagine over a 10 year period, if you're able to put that into your pocket and then invest it and what that would look like compounded. So, you know, in our multifamily assets, there's huge depreciation benefits. You know, on, on average, I think um, well, I can't guarantee any future results, but in past results that we've seen, 30 to 40 percent of in the investment can be written off against your income. So if you if you put 100 grand in investment, you get to write off 30 to 40 thousand dollars off of your income. And so that saves you tax money. So imagine, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars and what that looks like. And then you get the depreciation benefits in the in the rentals as well. I mean, it's it's huge. Depreciation is a, a great, great benefit. And being your own business owner, there's a ton of tax write-offs that you can do. So a lot of expenses where you can say, Hey, I'm gonna reduce this off my taxable income. I'm gonna show the government that I didn't make any money this year and I'm gonna pocket all that money I would have spent in taxes. Right. How does someone get started in real estate though? You know, like, like say it's a nine to five corporate employee, they got $50,000, they just sitting there, they want to invest. How, how do you get started? What's the best path? Gosh, that's such a tough question because I've got a scripted response that I want to tell people and well, let's hear both. And I've got, let's hear both what? responses. Let's hear the scripted response first. And then what you're going to say after the scripted response is look, go find someone who's already in the industry being successful, figure out like what they're doing and then try to provide some sort of value to that person, right? Work your, your, your butt off on the weekends, the time that you have available, um, the mornings before work, the night, you know, and once you get some income coming in and a system down, when you're ready to transition where you've got enough income coming in, that's the smart way to do it, right? That's the safe way to do it build your income up and then quit your job. That's what my buddy in Knoxville did. You know, he worked a corporate job for five, six years, did real estate. And he just quit his job this year and he was super excited. I would have never done that. I, I, I'm the guy who has to burn the bridge. So I don't, I don't go find the money and then go find the deal. I go find the, you know, the six bill that we need $3 million for, and I put it under contract with non-affirmative owners money. And then I go find the $3 million, right? Like that's create the problem and then solve it. So my own personal advice, which is completely different that I would give somebody else is whenever I'm doing something new is I burn all the bridges. So there is no, there's, there's no room for error. There's no room for failure. You've got to succeed. You'll find that there's a lot of motivation you get when you burn your safety net. 
No plan B. No plan B. It distracts you from planning. I love that. I say that all the time. That's awesome. No, it's, I mean, it, you seem like a highly motivated guy. I mean, I see that success nutrition facts in the background. Well, is that iconic or is that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I saw a Facebook ad for it. I've got the stay hungry, stay humble one. I was like, man, that looks really cool. I'm going to put that in my office. Yeah. A, a, a previous podcast I ran, I um, interviewed the co-founder of iconic Mark Brazil, but I mean, nonetheless, it's, you seem like a highly motivated guy. Um, which is great. I think we all need to be motivated to a degree. How, how do you keep going? How do you keep the energy levels going? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, motivation isn't going to take you to the finish line. It's discipline. It's hard work. You just got to keep going. So how do you stay motivated, inspired to, to continue chasing that potential you have? Yeah, that's a great question. What I've learned is I constantly need to be challenged and have opportunities for growth in order for me to stay motivated. So the things that used to excite me, I remember like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to build four houses here. Like that was fun. I got up and it was figuring out how to systemize the construction processes in our project management system, right? We're having all these issues. That was fun for me, systemizing it and then plugging people in and seeing it work. You know, that's lost its luster now. And I, it's lost its luster because we kind of conquered that battle, right? Like that's kind of done. Like, where's the next battle? You know, for me right now, I, I want to raise $10 million over the next two years, right? That's for, for apartment complexes. And I want to raise an additional $5 million in the next three months for our new construction fund that we're starting. That's fun to me. I've found a lot of passion and a lot of inspiration and a lot of motivation on these calls with these people who, they're, you know, they, they work these corporate jobs and they don't have time to go build a real estate business, yeah. but they don't, you know, their, their money's in like a CD making 2% or it's been in the stock market, like doing this. And they, they don't nothing about syndications. They know nothing about lending on real estate deals and to see them get involved and experience a lot of the benefits that we talked about with the depreciation and, and the great returns and the passive investments. Like that's exciting to me. Like I love doing that. I want to help inspire and motivate other people to like reach their dreams through helping them invest in assets that are directly aligned with what their dreams are. So, and, and that'll change, right? Like I'll, I'll probably raise a bunch of money and then it won't give me fulfillment any longer and I'll need to move on and figure out what the best thing. So staying on a path of constant growth uh, and not just in your business, but your other areas of your life is how I've found most of my motivation. You seem really fixated on growth and, and systems. And I, I saw your article about to win business in a hyper-competitive market without increasing overhead. So you're focusing on scaling, not just growing, but scaling business. What are some of the, the key tips that you would give somebody who's starting out or has been doing it for a little while for them to prep for that, that type of growth and, and to begin to scale? Yeah. So you've got to have your systems built out before you can scale. If you start dumping $50,000 a month into marketing and you don't have anybody to answer the phones or a sales process or a CRM setup, you're just lighting money on fire, right? Yeah, yeah. So making sure you get the right people in the right seats and then what's going to happen when you scale is you're going to have people in the right seat. It's a good system. You're going to scale. And the goal is to break the system. So once it's broken, now you need to figure out, all right, what got us here will not get us to where we're going and what mm -hmm. improvements do we need to make? So making sure your system is right is important. And one of the big steps you can take to making sure your system is right is 
figure out who's already done what you're trying to do, right? I spend $50,000 a year on mentorships, masterminds, educational programs, like all this stuff. This is just all content that's going like me. This doesn't include sales people I've brought in for my team, right? It doesn't include all the little pieces of software that we spend. Like that's a whole nother because I'm talking about just educational content for, for me. And a lot of that is I pay to be in rooms and I pay to be in mentorships with people who are doing bigger things than, than what I want to be doing. You know, I've got a friend who's raised like $55 million, right? I'm like, that's, that's what I want to be doing, right? That's the next step for me. And, and he's also paying for people who've raised probably a hundred or $200 million. So making sure you're, you've got the right support group and the right network is going to be huge for you to scale. You don't want to figure it out on your own. You just want to copy and paste what's working. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think the biggest thing is you can spend your time. It goes back to that time concept. You can spend your time learning it yourself, or you can just ask somebody the exact same question. You're going to get the same answer. But I think people, I think people a are scared to ask because they think it's a dumb question or B, they don't know who to ask. So, or what to ask. So how, how do you navigate around? Okay. Like I, I know I'm not the level I want to be like, what, what am I trying to reach? What's my next goal? Who do I know who to ask? And how do I muster up the courage and the strength and the whatever to get that person to give me a viable answer? I want to make sure I understand your question. Can you repeat it? So when you have that next goal, you're trying to reach essentially, mm-hmm. how do you know what to ask to the people you're, you're getting these rooms of people? How do you know what to ask? How do you know who to ask? How do you know, Hey, what, what do I even need to know to even get to that next level? Yeah. So let's take a real example, I guess, from my past. Uh, when I was first starting in real estate, I had no clue what I was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. I, was, I didn't know who I needed to even go to. I just knew I needed to find a mentor and, and, you know, I know I didn't at this point, I didn't have the mindset. I had the saving mindset. So I wasn't ready to spend money on, on something like a mastermind or some mentorship. I needed to figure out like a partnership. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't know who I need to ask or anything. So I've just started going to all these real estate meetings and meeting people. And sometimes people didn't even show up in this one specific real estate meetup. No one showed up. It was at a coffee shop and there was like a little forum on the meetup.com. And I, and I put my number. I was like, hey, if anyone's here, I'm here. No one responded. So I get my laptop out. I kind of do some work. 20 minutes later, I get a phone call and this guy shows up. And uh, like he, he, he obviously had done like a lot of real estate deals. We started talking. He was from Colorado Springs. I had just gotten back last week from there with my brother and sister on our annual sibling trip that we do. We talked about that for 30 minutes. And then we kind of gradually got into real estate. He owned a bunch of Airbnbs out in Colorado Springs. He's like, had kind of great energy and he was looking to start up some stuff here in Nashville because his, uh, his girlfriend lived here. I think she was going to school at like MTSU or something like that for uh, dentistry or something. And so uh, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new, you know, how would you recommend, uh, you know, we start something out? He's like, Hey, you know, here's what, here's what you do. Find it. Don't bring it to me. I'll fund it. And uh, that's kind of how it started. And that guy is my business partner to this day. I run all the sales and marketing and he, manages the whole construction side of things. So I don't even have to see any of the houses and I'm happy. That's awesome. So the, the person that, res- that, that responded to the forum when you posted on it is now the person you're still doing business with all the years later. Yeah. Small world. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I just started going to the places where I knew the people that I wanted to be around were and 
just wanted to start to get to know them and understand what was important to them. What did they want? Because Zig Ziglar, I think it was, he said, that if you can figure out how to get enough people what they want, then you'll get what you want. And so that was my goal in these meetings was what do they want? What do they want? How do I give it to them? Providing You're value. to create opportunities instead of letting them come to you or. Yeah, I, I actually tweeted about this today. I said, it, it's a mindset shift when you stop chasing money and instead just want to provide value no matter what the money comes to you and the opportunity comes to you. It's weird. It's a weird dynamic, but it's definitely a mindset shift that a lot of people don't, they never make. Yeah. So along this journey, Brandon, I mean, you, you scale to this point, what's that next level and what obstacles do you foresee happening? That's going to prevent you from hitting that next level. Right now it is, it is capital. It's, it's so funny. I remember when I was like, man, if I could just raise $2 million, I'm fine. And I remember, oh, if I could just raise $4 million, you know, everything will go away. Like I've realized that the problems are never going to go away, especially when you've got a pretty big vision for your company. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're starting a fund so that we're able to leverage that fund in order to acquire more construction loans, right? So like our construction company, man, the way we have things systemized and the team we have, they're fantastic, right? We've got like 22 projects going on right now. We could easily double our capacity, um, but just bringing on one or two more people. And so then the chokehold is on me as a founder. How do I raise the capital to do that? And so instead of me going out and raising $10 million, if I can funnel $3 million into a fund and then leverage that for $10 million of construction loans, that's, that's going to solve my problem much faster than me trying to go out and organically raise, you know, three, four more million dollars. So that's, that's the next thing is we want to start creating funds and leveraging those funds to do some bigger deals. For us, we're trying to build a pipeline for the next three to five years. Right now, our business has been on marketing systems and chasing these onesie twosie deals where the sales team has to spend a lot of time with each seller of the piece of land. And it's a spec build, right? We're building one or two homes on one piece of land and we've got, you know, 15, 20 different projects going all over the place. We want to get away from that where we're not having to hunt the next deal. We want to buy a piece of land and be able to put 50 to 150 homes. And so we've got our pipeline built for the next two, two, three years. So there's no need to have this big operational machine spending marketing dollars, generating these leads and a sales team following up with it. We want to create our own pipeline. And then that gives us a lot of runway to get the next deal set in the pipeline for when that deal closes. Um, that's the next big thing for the construction company and the, the single family new construction. For the apartment complexes, I, I you know we're partnering with world-class operators who not how. I didn't go out and try to figure out the whole apartment game. Like, I don't have time to go build a whole nother business and fly across the Southeast looking at all these multifamily ants and spending 20 hours per deal, just underwriting it and looking at 40 deals for me to get, you know, two deals out of it. I went and I found a world-class operator who's been doing this for 40 years. They've got more deals than I could ever fund, but they have a need for capital, right? Their business is around buying and finding the apartment complexes, but they need the businesses or the sponsors to be able to go out and raise the capital for it. So I just need to get good at underwriting these apartment deals, really understanding what I'm looking at and making sure it's a good investment for our firm 
and then raising the capital for it and deploying it into those deals. So this is a perfect example of how I'm, how I'm employing who, not how right now. So we want to do $10 million a year in just apartment deals. That'd be the next thing for the, uh, the HBG capital side of things. When you say operator, do you, are you saying, are you meaning management company or are you meaning operator? Yeah. Yeah. Operate. So this is the company. There's a company that like, so I'm, my firm just raises the capital for the down okay. payment for the bank loans for the apartment. Right. That's all we do. Now we, we go out and we look at it. We, you know, we, we look at the financials. That's so we do, do some underwriting, but we didn't build a business centered around like finding these things and mm-hmm. managing these things. We went out and found someone who's been through multiple recessions and a track record of performance that uh, not only survives during tough times, but thrives, right? Because that's that's who I want to be aligned with. Yep. Interesting. No, so, so it sounds like you have some massive goals. Do you, do you think uh, after you hit this goal, I'm a big believer that as entrepreneurs, we never really hit our goals, I think, because as you near hitting that next goal, you're already thinking about, I want to raise $100 million. I'm, I'm going to raise 10. I want to raise $100 million. Are you that way? Do, do you celebrate your victories or are you one of those entrepreneurs that's never satisfied? You know, one of the things that I wrote down when I turned 30 uh, last year was to celebrate the small things in life, right? You got to celebrate those small wins because it makes life just so much more fun, right? Yeah. Go out and get a nice bottle of champagne and a nice dinner, you know, take your your wife or your significant other and your kids or whoever, like celebrate the small wins and like you have to do that to make it fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I celebrate and then it's on to the next thing. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think I, I'm, I'm both ways, right? I, I'm, you're already looking to that next goal, but I think you have to celebrate because if not, what's the point of all of this? Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta reap the, the rewards of your efforts in my opinion, but there are people out there who don't, and that's fine. I, I think everybody's different, but whatever motivates you to keep going, I'm a big believer that you have to celebrate your victories. Cause I think it, it, it brings positive energy back to you. And you mentioned before, you know, like take care of yourself, take care of every area of your life. I think that's kind of like happiness, like make yourself happy by celebrating what you've worked hard for. So yeah. And not just focusing on your business, right? A lot of your happiness and motivation is going to come out of your body, your being, your balance, and then obviously mm-hmm. your business. A lot of people tend to neglect the body, the being, and the balance. But if you want to like have a great business and be a kick-ass leader, like go work out, take care of yourself. Like that's yeah. my rock. Like my body and my health will come before everything else, right? And then you got your relationships. Do a sibling trip with your brother and sister. Take your mom somewhere she's never been before, right? And I just did a, uh, a father-son trip with my dad and uh, took him to the Jack Daniels distillery of all things. Ooh. He's just a big fan, but he loved the history of it. And that was just yeah. really cool. And my mom keeps talking about how much he just won't shut up about how much fun the trip was. Like that's, that's really cool. Right. My, my yeah. whole goal in life is like, how do I die with as many unique experiences with the ones that I love? And that's why I started a business because that business allows me to create those memories and create the life that I want. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. powerful. It's powerful. So Brandon, as we close, I think we talked about a lot, a lot of good strategies for your personal growth, but also your business growth. And I think the listeners out there, I think it comes down to optimizing every area of your life. I truly do believe that, you know, yeah, you can optimize your business, but there's a reason airplanes say, take care of yourself first. If you're not taking care of yourself, how can you take care of your business and how can you take care of those in your business and your clients? Um, But as we close, let's say that you're only allowed to give one piece of advice 
one central value to other entrepreneurs, uh, corporate employees, executives, business owners, whatever, one piece of advice, what would that be? Buy educational content, invest in yourself or get a mentor. Yeah. Who's I think that's something you want to do. And, and that is also a mindset shift that people have to make because they view it as say, and you mentioned that, you know, like hoarding your money. Hey, you know, I, I never had money, so I'm not going to spend it. But it's weird when you invest in yourself, you, you end up having more. So it, it's an interesting dynamic. But Brandon, thank you so much for coming on, man. I think this is a great episode talking not only about real estate, but personal business growth. Um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, ask you a business related question or get somehow involved with your business, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can go to hpgcapital.net and uh, just throw in your email address or there's a contact form. Uh, Amanda will most likely intercept it and then uh, she'll just get in touch with me and say, hey, you know, you got somebody who wants to reach out to you or talk to you and uh, that'd be the best way. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, yeah, guys, reach out to Brandon. Let him know what you thought about the episode and ask him any questions you might have. But Brandon, appreciate your time, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nash Biz Podcast. We post new episodes every single week, and we'd greatly appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.